are new with us, we're so thankful that you're here. Um, we would love for you to grab a Connect card. You can fill out the information on the top of that and put it in one of the boxes here in the front or even in the back. Um, an absolutely wonderful way, though, if you want to turn that in and kind of get to know somebody. After the service, our cafe is open. There'll be a barista in there. You can take that Connect card to them. They'll get you a free coffee mug and some coffee to go in it. So thank you again just for being here. A um, couple of things. Just remember our evangelism 321 will not meet today because of Labor Day weekend, but it is going to resume next week, and it'll be on the 9th and the 16th. Um, there is something really specific. Certainly men be looking um, at the, uh, the camp out and the weekends there. All that information is in the bulletin and the app, so definitely go check that out. Um, I have a, a lot of, of announcements that surround our kids' stuff. This is our last weekend of the combined classes. Okay, so we've been combined and over at the well. This is the last weekend of that. So uh, parents, you should have received a letter letting you know that your kid was moving up or starting children's ministry. Um, you even got a letter if your kid needs to cycle out of kids ministry and join 714 student ministry on Thursday nights. And so if they are cycling out, they don't need to go over to the well. We would encourage you to have them come to the service, learn to kind of start contributing and being a part of the body and worshiping with us, even in the, the sermon aspect of it. Um, so just keep that in mind. If you did not receive a letter, that means that your kid is in the same class. So that's, that's a pretty simple one. If you have any questions about that, don't be afraid to come talk to me or even Miss Donna. We can get you all squared away on that. With that, and, and as things are kind of settling back into children's ministry, just keep in mind, we really would encourage you, it's, it's helpful if as soon as we are done communion and we have that ending prayer, if you have a child in children's ministry, um, to, to go ahead, wait to talk to people, head, pick up your kid, please, um, just for, for safety concerns and also to help out our teachers. That's really the easiest way to be a blessing is, is go take your kid. Um, and, and then, then you can walk back over and you can mingle and chat with people and catch up. So that's a really easy thing because we are working with them and our teachers are going to hold them and try to keep them seated so that just for safety issues and crossing the parking lot, we want to make sure that kids are picked up. So it's a, also a good thing to just remind your, your child, hey, don't leave and, and don't scoot out of there in the, the hustle and bustle until they're picked up, that they do need to wait for a parent or even an older sibling with that sticker. Um, so those are a couple of our announcements. Um, Pastor Rick's going to come up and bring the word this morning. So, Good morning. You all suffered the Labor Day weekend here, I see. Everyone enjoying themselves. If you have your Bibles, please open to Mark. We're going to be at Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. We're going to read it first together. Um, actually, I'll just read it out loud. You can follow along. But Mark chapter 11, uh, we've been through the series of what did Jesus do? Uh, not just what did he, uh, what would he do, but what he did, excuse me. What did he do? He actually did something. Not would he do, what did he do? And we want to grapple with that together and, and just really analyze in our own hearts what is he calling us to do? So Mark 11, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied 
on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street and they untied it. At some, and some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who had went before and those who had followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. This is the word of the Lord. So I was with my discipleship group uh, about two weeks ago, and they came up, we were discussing Mark, we were trying to, we were walking through a little bit of what we were discussing, and and they made a very, I would say, astute observation. And it was this, that Jesus, when he was, uh, up until this point, he went and he was easily distracted by ministry opportunities. I want you to hear that. He was easily distracted. So what I mean by that, as he walked, he wasn't going, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. And people came up, he received them. And it was just like, man, how can I, how can we embrace that heart of Jesus where we're so open to God's moving that God can bring every day a different change, an abrupt halt to our schedule, something that we need that we go, this is an opportunity from the Lord. And we see that that's what Jesus did. But here in this part, we get to a point where Jesus is sovereignly in control and he's on mission. It, it just changes. And, and last couple of weeks, we've seen he, he headed towards Jerusalem. He led the pack, if you would, of people. He was on mission. Last week, we saw blind Bartimaeus, that he was there. He cast his cloak aside. He went after Jesus and let me have sight. He recognized that he needed something. He recognized Jesus for who he was. And so we get to this point of the triumphal entry. You're used to maybe hearing it on Palm Sunday. And the the trouble with this is that you can go, well, I've heard this a million times. Heard it a million times. I know about it. You know, he goes and grabs this, Hosanna. Then soon after they killed him, case closed, it's over. What you got next? I just want you to ask the Spirit this morning. Holy Spirit, what do you have for me fresh for today? I'm probably not going to say anything that you don't already know. But is your heart receptive to the Spirit speaking something to you and opening it up. So we see here that Jesus comes into the city and he is intent intent on doing something. And so the picture being, uh, you might be familiar with the movie Gladiator when the emperor came back after the big battle and they won. They came in in celebratory fashion into the city, riding on chariots, coming to the crown as victors. Here, here in our time, when presidents get inaugurated, they come in and it's a, it's a dog and pony show, if you would. It's a big, glorious thing when an inauguration takes place. 
And so I, I present to you that this is Jesus accepting and, and proclaiming for the first time that he is king. This is him putting into place to, in the things in motion to say that I am king, but I'm not the king that you want. He comes in differently. He doesn't come in riding on a fancy horse. He doesn't come in on the best of clothes and all fancy garments. He doesn't come in with an entourage of the, all the most popular people. He comes with some fishermen, some carpenters, some tax collectors, some, a physician, all these people at his side, and people who had watched him um, remove demons. They had watched him heal a blind man. They had watched him walk on water. They had watched him with uh, Lazarus. They had done all these things, and they had experienced it, so they're walking into town. Verse 1, it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. What do you see here? I see blind obedience. I see unquestioning obedience. What if I were to tell you, hey, go to Cambridge right now. There's a car. It's parked outside of, you know, this restaurant, and the keys are in it. You just go in it. There are going to be people outside, and you take that car. Good deal, right? No, what are you going to do? You're going to question my sanity, right? And calls us to do things that question our sanity. He calls us to do things that, doesn't, that don't make sense right away. He calls us to do things that are counterintuitive to everything we've done and said. And so he grabs two disciples. They don't name them. It's not important. They went. That is important. They went and did exactly as Jesus said. And it's interesting that you see that he says on which no one has ever sat. So we're going to look a little bit in the Old Testament because it points to it that that is a sign of a king. When a king would come into his domain, he would pick the steed, if you would, that he wanted. It was never ridden. It had never been dealt with or broken. And the king picked it and only the king rode on that horse. So when he says that one which has never written, it's pointing to something. So they untied it and they brought it. Verse 3, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. All right. They did it, right? They, they did it. They did what Jesus said. And they went, verse 4, away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and guess what? They let him go. You've experienced some of that, right? And if you've walked with Jesus for a while, he asks you to do some crazy things. And then all of a sudden it happens. If you're listening to the Spirit and you're following after the will, you just be obedient and God opens the door. It's not our energy that does it. And they brought the colt to Jesus, they were obedient, and they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. So from the outset, we've heard that, right? Go to find the colt, donkey, donkey's never been written, brought it in. Some churches on, on um, Palm Sunday will bring a live donkey in for the kids to see what a donkey looks like. 
it was said by another pastor that he has enough trouble with the donkeys in the congregation, let alone bring another one in. <laughs> I didn't say that. I thought it, but I haven't said it. I haven't said it. But it is significant. This isn't just a, a quick thing that you get over and you go, okay, okay, what's he going to do? He's going to ride in, and that's cool. Let's look and go back and see what's happening. So in Zechariah 9, says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Who do you think they're talking about? Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. A donkey. Unless you're an army fan, that is not cool. Riding on a donkey is just not my thing. Matter of fact, I'm not even big with horses. But if I were going to come in and be king for something, I would ride one that has already been rode, and I would ride a pretty fancy one if it were in my decision-making thing. Jesus was not. Zechariah pointed to that is going to come to your people that you will shout aloud and your king is coming. And so this is the promised Messiah. This is what you hear about that the Jewish people would wait and they would hunger after, and they would just, when is the Messiah coming? When is the Messiah coming? When is the Messiah coming? And they were foretold that he was coming humble on a donkey. Uh, you don't have to turn here, but in Genesis 49, I want to read for you a couple of verses. And if you remember that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? We know that. But look at what Genesis says, and uh, if you want to turn there, it's Genesis 49, 8 through 11. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion... Who shall rouse him? The scepter, that is a sign of royalty, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. Jesus says who? And I am the vine and we are the branches he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes this is in genesis from the tribe of judah the smallest group the less substantial group would come a king and this king would ride on a donkey and this king would be humble. And this king would have his garments washed in wine. You ever spilled, I know good Baptist people here don't drink wine, but you ever spill grape juice on white clothes? Yeah, you, you get the idea. Zechariah 9 and Genesis points to the coming of the Messiah and what it would look like. Jesus knew this. He came in with his head in the game. He came in and engaged the mission. 
So it was no longer, I need to do this a little bit here and do this a little bit here. He set his face in. He did exactly what was foretold by the Old Testament prophets, and he made it happen. Verse 8, and many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. So just imagine taking your garments and throwing them down on the, on the mud, on the dirty ground, on all this stuff. They took all the symbols of their identity off and laid it so that Jesus could ride the donkey towards the temple. If you look back in 2 Kings 9.13, it says this, and this was when Jehu was anointed as king and Samuel the prophet would talk about these things. He said, then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. They took everything of value and laid it before the king and made a pronouncement, he is king. Now, you have to ask yourselves the question, did everyone get what was going on here? Verse 9, we'll see their response. And those who went before and those who shouted, um, and those who, they were shouting, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. We saw last week, Pastor Todd talked about blind Bartimaeus. And they had his garment spread. And there might have been some money on it. But he was begging. But when he heard Jesus, he cast it aside. When Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, these people were excited. They were motivated. They were thinking that the Messiah was coming. They had seen all that he had done. And they had answered, begun to answer the question, who is Jesus? My question to you, one of the couple questions I'm going to have is, do you know who Jesus is? Do you really know him? Do you know him not just as a fond memory from being raised up in a church, some of you, that, you know, you sang certain songs and you felt good about yourself when you came, but do you know him as someone who you cast everything, all your identity in front of the coming king and laid it to be trampled on and said, you are the king and I am not. Do you know Jesus in this way? Do you know that Jesus is God? Have you surrendered everything before him and cast it at his feet? I love the song we sing. It always brings conviction at times. We fall down and we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. And we sing holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. Do you know who this Jesus is? Is it reflected in our surrender? Is our identity found in him that we know who he is, that we surrender it before him? Or is it found in some head knowledge or apparent state that we can say he is king of kings? And Lord of Lords. It's an interesting dichotomy that when Jesus was born, there was great trouble in the land. You can remember Herod the king, it said all of Jerusalem was troubled 
they knew that a child had been born. And inside this great, what we celebrate in Advent, is not celebrated by the Jewish people at that time. There was a lot of unrest. But now you have celebration at the time of his impending death. Jesus was setting his face forward. People were acknowledging and laying down before him. At the, and they would sing songs of ascent. If you look in Psalms, and, and I really never thought of this before, but if you look in Psalms, I just sort of read through it, it'll say a song of ascent, right? And I'm just like, okay. But it would be songs that would be sung in the yearly pilgrimage up to Jerusalem for the Passover. So picture singing a song of ascent. We're proclaiming the Passover lamb is going to be slaughtered, the Paschal lamb. And here you have the Paschal lamb going, setting his face, riding on a colt, people throwing their clothes and possessions before him. He's going in, and they're singing a song of ascent, saying, Hosanna in the highest. But there's an interesting thing. If you look at Jesus' identity... You have to ask yourself a question. Our world, our culture, America goes, I like Jesus. He's a good teacher. You know, I just don't know where I stand with him. Well, well, just let me tell you something. Who in their right mind would celebrate someone who comes in and says they're king, who comes in and lies to all his followers, who comes in and does all this, they weren't even sure who he was. At this point, if you look at John, we have it up here, John 12, 16. This is at the same part of the scripture as that we're reading in Mark. His disciples did not understand these things at first. So right now, when Jesus is going in, they didn't get it. I feel good about that because there's things I don't get. Is there things you haven't gotten yet? I feel good the disciples don't understand everything yet, but it says... But when Jesus was glorified, when he was sent up to go to heaven, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. They went back to the Old Testament. They remembered all these things. They began to remember what Jesus was saying. If Jesus was a charlatan, if he was creating his own thing, who's going to write after the fact when he's dead and buried that he was a great liar and he was all that? It would have been thrown out. But what we see here is the need for grace. Apart from grace, you and I will never understand who Jesus is. Apart from that amazing grace, how sweet it sounds that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Apart from grace, we're going to be like blind Bartimaeus sitting there begging Apart from the touch of Jesus, we're going to be empty. We're going to be physically blind, spiritually blind to the things around us. Apart from grace, we are never going to know Jesus. Have you experienced the grace of Jesus? My dad's favorite song it is in here. Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How can my tongue describe it? Where shall its praise begin? Taking away my burden, setting my spirit free, for the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me, reaches you. His disciples did not understand these things at first. They did not see things clearly 
on his way to Jerusalem. Verse 11. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This seems odd to me. I want you to get the picture that Jesus wasn't coming to just Jerusalem. He was going to the temple. He was purposely going to the temple. You're going to see later here in the next week or two that he went and he overturned things in the temple. He said that my father's house should be a house of prayer. And he goes in, but Jesus went to the temple because in the spiritual realm, Jesus is the temple. And he went to make things right. Symbolically, so much in the Old Testament presses into the actual fulfillment of Jesus Christ. He went in. He entered Jerusalem and went into the temple, and he revealed and begun to reveal. And you'll remember when he died that inside the temple, the temple was rent, the, the, the thing in front of the Holy of Holies from top to bottom, it separated this. And it was like, no one should separate us from the love of God, that we have entrance into the Holy of Holies, that we can proclaim uh, peace with God because of what Jesus did. And so we go in, but Jesus had to do this first. And he went to Jerusalem as a lamb before the slaughter. And within a week of this point, he was crucified. Mark here is warning against mistaken enthusiasm for faith and popularity for discipleship. So let's sit on that first part. It was, I think, in church history past that to be part of a church meant something in the community, that your standing was, was built on it, that it, it added value. I know people even to this day that they, where they go to church is sort of based on what's best for their business. And I'm not making that stuff up. It's like, well, I meet people that, you know, I get stuff in here. But that is not what discipleship is. You can't expect to have enthusiasm and popularity necessarily in the kingdom. Matter of fact, Jesus was our example in it. What did Jesus do? He had popularity. He said no to people. Like when they tried to make him king, he went away. But when the time was right, he knew that he was going to die and he followed after the will of the Father. Jesus is not confessed in pomp and circumstance, but only at the cross. What did Jesus do? How are you making your mark in your context this morning? Are you, by your actions and your thoughts, demonstrating by laying down your identity before the king? What does it look like? You can kill the, not kill, but you can cut the recording part. What does it understand what Jesus did? And we want to make a mark. And as Amanda said, that we want success equal to surrender. How does our next week look? Just one or two people throw in. How does next When we come to communion, we come to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, 
We believe that the symbolism of the breaking of the bread is pointing to Jesus' broken body and his shed blood and the juice. We believe that Jesus calls us to remember this in order that we might live a life that focuses on him and surrender to him. Lord God, as we come to communion, Lord, we just want to say next week is yours. We relinquish control. We surrender all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please come. Peace still my soul. The Lord is on my side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul. Thy best I have need, friend. Through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. Be still, my soul. Thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul, the waves and winds still know. His voice who ruled them while he dwelled below. In you I rest, in you I found my hope, in you I trust. You never let me go, I place my rest within your hands alone. Be still, my soul, be still, my soul. The hour is hastening on when we shall be forever with the Lord. When disappointment, grief, and fear are gone, sorrow forgot, love's purest joys restored. Be still, my soul. When change and tears are past, all safe and blessed, we shall meet at last. In you I rest, in you I found my hope, in you I trust. You never let me go, I place my love within alone. Be still, my soul. Be still, my soul. Be still, my soul.
all the effort to surrender right now is falling on you like a weight. It's falling on the wrong person. Surrender is about trusting Jesus with everything and being still. On the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he came together to his disciples, for I received from the Lord what I have also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is his body, which is broken, so that you may be made whole. Take and eat. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Just like the Old Testament looking for the Messiah, we're still looking and waiting for him to come. Take a drink. Please stand if you're able. I trust that this week will be a blessed week as we learn to surrender the rest of our lives together to Jesus. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your example. Thank you for how you modeled to your apprentices, Lord, your disciples, how to live their lives. Lord, I'm glad they didn't get it. It gives me hope. Lord, we want to get it. Lord, I pray that you would seal things in our hearts even this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.